All right, everyone, welcome back to season two of Creative Crunch. We are in episode number two. I have not come up with a title for this episode yet because it's kind of all over the place. I'm going to start talking about month of photography and the things I've done there in terms of exhibitions. I'm also going to go back to last episode and kind of clarify some things uh, because my good friend George Bangs made some really good notes and we had a really good phone conversation about it. Um, And then I might just talk about First Friday in general and what I'm up to and we'll kind of just see what happens and what goes from there. So that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Crunch. So I'm lovingly calling this section, uh, Rick Gets a Rose, and it's my clarification on last episode and kind of talking about last episode with some real live carbon-based life forms, uh, those who were in the conversation and those who weren't. So a lot of the thoughts and the discussion from season two, episode one, uh, Death of the Generalist Designers, came from Rick Griffith. Uh, who is my boss, my coworker, my peer, uh, whatever you want to use for that uh, title there. A lot of that content came from Rick, and uh, when it came to light and when I was talking to Rick about it during one of our Fresh Off the Press Thursday events, um, I just wanted to like give him credit because it kind of came up in multiple perspectives. Normally, I was like thinking that like not saying people's names was the right thing to do just from like a freedom of speech, kind of protect their identity, don't want to defame anyone. But I guess everything I said was positive. So I really want to give Rick credit for all of the content there. And I just wanted to thank him quickly for actually listening to the episode and kind of supporting this vision. I was a little nervous about that, but you know, it was good to kind of get that out. So I'm lovingly calling this section, Rick Gets a Rose, uh, because a lot of the Death of the Generalist thoughts came from that. The other person that really reached out to me after reading or listening to the episode, because this is a podcast, you don't read it, you listen to it, Um, It's George Banks. So George has kind of been supporting the podcast for a while, which I really love. Um, And I can tell that he kind of listens to it while he works, which is exactly the goal of Creative Crunch is to listen to it while you work. And I just wanted to kind of clarify some things because George had some really great points about what I was saying and to kind of the confusion and the paradox that I was creating and things like that. So I want to clarify a generalist. A generalist is some is a graphic designer who's kind of focused on, um, in the terms of this context, uh, for this conversation, a generalist was someone who was focused on long format uh, print documents, 
flyers, ephemera, things of that nature where you're kind of dealing with a lot of copy, a lot of text, and some images. And how those kind of jobs and job tickets, if you will, are far less compared to uh, digital job tickets, right? Things that require social media and video and photography and sort of this new media approach to design and sort of disseminating the design through a lot of different digital platforms. So just to kind of clarify that term, you know, you have this, what I, what my brain wants to say as an old school designer, right? Somebody who's focused on print and things that get printed. And then this new media designer, which I kind of consider myself someone who's experimenting with social media, with video, with photography, um, and how all of those things uh, intertwine, you know, and this includes websites and web development and coding and applications, right, that kind of new media approach to things. I think it also includes people like my coworker Damon, who are an industrial designer, um, and how they are able to not only design something in Illustrator, but then transform that into a physical product cut out of wood, acrylic, cast in resin, or concrete. You know, things that require nuts and bolts and kind of carpentry skills. And I think also, in an umbrella kind of way, a new media designer is anyone who kind of has... I don't know, a prefix to the word design. So this could be interior design, web design, social media design, industrial design. Like if there's a prefix to your design word besides just graphic, I think that you're a new media designer and not a generalist. Moving on to another part of that uh, conversation, I think I recommended a lot of ways to kind of combat generalism without fully explaining that example. And that example is to combat becoming a generalist in any way, you need to go out and seek discomfort and seek knowledge by going to various lectures, by going to uh, seminars and discussions and roundtables and kind of whatever you can get your hands on in terms of going to things in order to find your specialty. And I think I got close to kind of wrapping that example up with if you as a designer go to a science-based lecture or presentation or TED Talk and you see that that scientist really isn't visually communicating to their full potential, uh, whether it be the PowerPoint design, whether it's a lack of PowerPoint, uh, whether there's a lack of new media incorporated into the presentation. If you go to that and you see that yourself is fit to kind of intervene in that and make a better science presentation, then I would say your specialty and the way you become a specialty designer would be to learn how to communicate with the scientific communi community to communicate scientific things in a more visually pleasing manner in order to help that science reach a larger audience. I think one of the great examples of this is just climate change in general. I think that besides like Al Gore's movie, you know, the disseminating the science and the research 
of climate change never really hit home for everyone, right? It's only through things like documentaries that climate change, when you're able to visually show what ice caps melting and plastic in the Pacific Ocean looks like, then the generalist person, the person that's just out there, the common person, is able to understand the impact of climate change. And I think this goes into kind of like visual data design and things like that. How are you able to take huge scientific reports and turn them into visually pleasing, dare I say, fun and interactive ways so that the science in these reports hits the common person and can better see that? I think another great example of this would be museum design specifically at maybe museums like the Museum of Nature and Science, but also art galleries, uh, the Denver Art Museum, Museum of Contemporary Art, things like that. If you go to these things and you kind of visually enjoy them, but maybe you're not learning as much as you wanted to, then that can be your specialty. You can start speaking the language and learning the language of curators and museum scientists and art historians to find better and more engaging ways of engaging the common person when they go to these exhibitions, right? Like when you go to the Museum of Nature and Science, if it was just like printed out PDFs or like things like that, that would be just very boring, which is why they have 3D models and skeletons and things you can touch and things you can smell and right, use these other sentence uh, senses and right, they have like sound design with some of their exhibitions, right? I think my favorite was a couple years back, they did a Sherlock Holmes type investigation exhibition and you went around to the different stations and got stamps in your little passport and you tried to solve clues. And it was very interactive and it made it much more interesting than just sort of presenting things behind glass and having information panels. So I really wanted to clarify that thought and say that in order to become a specialist and to find your specialty in design, you need to go experience different things and take your critical thinking and your abstract thinking and apply them and see if there's ways that you can improve your experience and jot your ideas down, give them a shot, you know, pair yourself with a friend who's a fine artist who maybe has an exhibition coming up And offer your services up, you know, like offer up type design and wall placards and maybe, you know, you're into coding and find fun ways or like design an application that can make that exhibition more meaningful and sort of disseminate the artist's message to a larger audience. So that's what I wanted to kind of say there uh, about that is to kind of When you go to other things, it's in order to find your specialty, not to stay a generalist, but to kind of seek out knowledge and seek discomfort and to find something that could make you a specialist. And, you know, maybe you find a passion for an industrial design. Maybe you find uh, a passion for web design, you know, and this goes back to my uh, point of opening different applications in your Adobe suite, which you already pay for. The last thing I want to say before we move on to the next section, and I think this comes straight from George and we kind of developed this thought together, is that this knowledge of just going to different things and exposing yourself to different conversations, that knowledge 
helps you transcend into other positions. And to kind of air quote this, to use the cliche of climb the ladder. If you have knowledge in multiple areas and you can address multiple problems and you know how photographers and web designers and fine artists and graphic designers think, then that helped you climb the ladder into management positions. I think having a diverse skill set is sort of a fast track to becoming an art director or to move from behind the scenes to client management, right? Like if you're able to demonstrate communication skills, active listening, things like that, I would believe that other managers and other people of position and authority at your workplace will recognize that and will allow you to then maybe start making client contact, right? And George had a great example of this where he's currently working. He's also spray painting things for an upcoming convention or trade show, I believe it was. Um, He's able to illustrate. He's able to design. I think he's going to sort of gain a knowledge the longer he stays there of production aspects, marketing aspects, distributions of products, product management, and everything that goes with that. And that knowledge alone is going to help them transcend into other positions. And I believe they already are an art director, and they are the true definition of an art director because they are able to do multiple things. They are able to make physical things. They are able to speak to other designers and to project manage and to work up and to manage up with their bosses and things like that. So that was just kind of the point there. And that was just kind of clarifying episode uh, one of season two and kind of some wrapped up thoughts on that. And I think that will kind of be the trend for season two is there will always kind of be a quick revisit to the last episode uh, to kind of clarify things because people are reaching out. just informs this rhetoric and we're making it available to everyone so I believe the opportunity to have a part in this conversation so if anything in this episode jogs your memory or you want to talk about it just reach out to me on Instagram at Curtis Crunch you you can also find me on Facebook slash Curtis Tucker Content I try to make myself accessible as I can if you're listening on the Anchor app actually send me an audio message and I can work that into the next episode. So don't be shy about it. If something uh, gets to ruffle your feathers or whatever, let me know because it, it just informs everything and it helps everyone. Alright, so we're going to take a quick break, play a little sound bite, and then jump into the next section. <laughs> So I wanted to talk a little bit about First Friday, since that already happened for the month of March and what I went to go see. And Month of Photography Denver has started in the city. Uh, 
goes throughout the month of March and April. It's sort of a celebration of fine art throughout the region, which I think is great. The first place that I chose to go to on first Friday was up to Space Gallery, which is on 4th and Santa Fe. I've always enjoyed space. The issue is, is that it's a little outside the cluster of normal galleries uh, for Santa Fe Arts District, but it's, it's an amazing journey, and I ended up scootering there, taking a Razor e-scooter, uh, because I'm a huge fan of one of the artists that they featured in Beyond the Framework, and that artist is Highland Mather, who is also known as The Lost Object on Instagram. And um, I'm just going to read Highland's artist statement here from spacegallery.org. And it says, I apply a kind of weird spiritualism to the materials I find and work on. I like to think of them as having a first life after they have outlived their usefulness and they are thrown away, abandoned, discarded, or lost. They are rediscovered and made new again, but not too new. I like to think of the lost objects themselves as stoked that they are becoming something else. And I followed um, the lost object on Instagram for a while. I know my boss Rick has a piece in his office uh, that is by Highland. And it was just great to kind of see an expansion of what, um, what I'm familiar with, at least, of Highland's work. What I'm used to seeing are things uh, like Big Stack, which are made of acrylic, aerosol, string, and lost objects. But there was also some really interesting stuff like Television Star, which includes photography and collage and sort of painting and things of that nature. Another good example of sort of the expansion of what I'm used to seeing from Highland is Into the Bliss Come Mis Came Mischief. And this was uh, paper collage and sort of typography and things like that. And so I think it was a really great exhibition, beautifully curated, um, and there was just a great breadth of objects, uh, lost objects, I should say, from Highland uh, that I wasn't used to seeing. There was some very uh, small tabletop kind of freestanding sculptures that were painted on one side and then uh, wood burned, I believe, on the other. And... Um, it was just great to see, and I think Space Gallery always does a beautiful job of curation. Uh, a lot of the artwork in Beyond the Framework was uh, geometric in nature. It was a great blend of 3D objects and 2D objects and 3D objects that are sort of mounted on the wall. Uh, so it was just great to kind of make the journey all the way up to Space Gallery uh, to go see Highland, uh, Highland's work specifically, but then I was pleasantly surprised by all the other artists that were included. Uh, some of those artists were Stephen Barris, Joshua Eknick, Allison Kahn, and Freya Buckler. And I apologize if I butchered your name uh, at all. I'm not that great at reading comprehension. You can thank my fourth grade teacher for that. Uh, but it was just great to kind of see that and to kind of see um, geometric art kind of celebrated in a different way. And on a completely unrelated side note, the catering was fantastic. Oh my gosh. Being sort of a gallery snob and having gone to a lot of openings where it's just the Costco cheese and cracker platter, platter 
uh, having like true high level catering was just so good. I had something wrapped in bacon. I had like an elk mini quiche. Uh, what else? Oh, the really good one was this chicken and waffles cone. And it was like this little tiny ice cream cone filled with chicken and waffles. So like some coleslaw, some really nice seasoned chicken. And oh my God, just listen to the sound of my voice. I'm just trying to convey the elegancy and the deliciousness of the catering that uh, Space Gallery had. And so it definitely, it definitely got me to stick around a little bit longer than I was hoping to. The other great thing is, is that Highland made a zine uh, about their work, and it is just phenomenal. I snagged a copy the second I saw it. It just, it, it smells good. If you're into printing, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Just that smell of like ink on paper. Um, and it was beautifully done. It's got a lot of pages, and I'm super excited to kind of have that in my archive of zines and printing that I have. Uh, so it's great to have that in the collection and to kind of own a piece of Highland and the Lost Object because there is no way I could afford the fine artwork and or properly display it. So a zine was a perfect takeaway for that. And, uh, you know, if you have an upcoming exhibition, I highly recommend making a little zine for it. And you might be pleasantly surprised at the number of copies that you sell um, of that zine. So just think about making a publication the next time you have an exhibition. So I was digging around on the Month of Photography website trying to have some research for you guys and to really like not butcher what I was going to go through. Uh, but unfortunately, their website is a little weirdly designed in my eyes. Uh, when you go through the listings to kind of see things, instead of having blurbs uh, with the images, it's just like little galleries of images, um, you know, that are going to be displayed at those um, things. But maybe I can pull some stuff up here. I found a search bar. The other thing is, is like their events just disappear as they go. So um, it, it stays current, which I guess is nice if you're um, after that. But like, what am I looking at here? Is it just images? Like, how do you find the actual listing? Because I wanted to be like accurate with everything that I was telling you guys. Uh, so after space, I went to Recreative. Yeah, see, it's just opening the gallery again. But maybe it shows the artist. How do you go back? So I went to Recreative Denver, which is one of my local haunts. If you haven't been there, wow, go there. So Recreative is a nonprofit organization that has this fantastic store of upcycled art materials and it just, wow, it will shake you from any creative block that you have. Um, it will help you discover all sorts of new things. And it will let you get supplies super cheap. Super cheap. Okay, so I'm kind of searching here. The exhibition that they had up for Month of Photography was uh, Juan Fuentes, 
who's a street photographer, and it was sort of an exhibition of all of their Denver street photography. If you follow me on Instagram, you kind of got to see some photos from that. Right as you walked in, one of the artist's photographs was blown up to a huge scale. I mean, I want to say 10, 12 feet high, easily 20 feet across, and it was just exquisite to see a photograph celebrated like that, printed out like that, and installed like that. And it was so just jaw-dropping. And from a marketing standpoint, it was like super Instagrammable. Um, so just right out of the gate, using their feature wall like that, I thought was just insane. The other cool display that they had of, the, of Juan's work was all of his photos in different scales and different sizes um, but then presented in uh, thrifted frames that were all gold and black, and they were, they were beautifully salon-hung, um, so it was great to see that. And then there was like a little Victorian couch that you could view, uh, sit and view all the artist's work and kind of take it in uh, for what it was. And then there was sort of traditional framing, I would like to say, with like matting and things like that um, of the other photographs. So that was just like, as someone who's trying to practice street photography as much as I possibly can, that was definitely a, a nice jolt of creativity and inspiration to kind of seek the weird and walk different streets and interact with different people and kind of just continue that bravery for um, street photography. And I thought that was beautifully done. Normally, I feel like presenting photos in black and white is like a cop-out. Um, and it's like a cheap and easy way to kind of add a layer to street photography uh, by removing color because color equals chaos in my mind, right? And sometimes you get a lot of conflicting color that is distracting in street photography and you really want to zap, zap that out. But Juan's use of um, black and white was great because before the photos were black and white, you can tell that Juan was really focused on light and shadow and contrast. And I think those things, having premeditated light and shadow as the image, really enhances the black and white aesthetic and doesn't subtract from that. So that was kind of my first stop and where I ditched my electric scooter uh, because if you've been on Santa Fe Drive before and you've done the art district, you know the sidewalks get kind of narrow and it's just not really electric scooter friendly. Uh, so I ditched the scooter there, and where did I make my way to after that? Oh, I went to like a street shop, streetwear shop, um, and I took some photos for them and uh, just experienced that. But then I went down to Vertigo, which is where Anthony Camera and Andrew Novak had an act exhibition together. And Vertigo is really cool because it is like a photo studio, but then on first and third Fridays, uh, they make a go of it for events and really like to hang art. And um, Anthony will do uh, pop-up photography there. Um, if you're not familiar with Anthony's work, you have seen it before. Anthony is one of the cover photographers for Westward. Um, so it was really great to kind of see that. And what they did, and what I was hoping to find more in information on, was the process... Um, because the process was these incredible, um, like 3d photographs. And I'm really just trying to like 
I should have pulled up links before I started recording. Um, but the exhibition was called Articular, and it's these amazing photos. Uh, it's some of Anthony's uh, cover photography for Westward and some of Andrew's more conceptual uses of this technique of um, those like 3D photos. I kind of remember them from like Scholastic Book Fair. You used to be able to buy them and like you move back and forth and like the horse would jump. Well, these were like a very fine art approach to that. And it was cool to kind of see their experiments and to kind of see these Westward cover photos, um, you know, in a whole new light. You know, things were popping out of you, out, out at you. The sword swallower was like actually able to swallow their sword up and down and up and down, I think, which was really cool. Um, so that exhibition was just great. And it was just great to kind of introduce myself to Andrew um, and to kind of show them what um well and hear from them not show them anything but hear from them um all of the amazing things that they had going on there um and it was just cool to like hear andrew talk to other people about the process when i was there it was two photography students that were very curious about what was going on um so that was great to kind of hear andrew willing to explain the creative process behind it to other photographers um, and it was just great to kind of see that in general. Then the last thing I went to, and I kind of gloss over this because I've seen it a couple times already, was the exhibition at Center for Visual Art, which, as many of you know, is where I used to work um, as the marketing assistant while I was attending MSU Denver. Um, so this has been up for a little bit while, but I know it's going to be up through the month of photography, uh, all the way through March and maybe into April. So it's definitely worth checking out and I'm rambling as I try to get websites to load. Uh, my computer does not like YouTube live streaming and me trying to do research at the same time. So as that tries to load, I will quickly plug what we have going on at the Shop at Matter, which is where I currently work. So on March 14th, we are having an opening reception and printing demonstration uh, from my boss, Rick, at the Shop at Matter, which is 2134 Market Street. And we chose to hang Rick's original collage work, which is a series of uh, collages, a body of work called Beat the Whites with the Same Red Wedge, version 3.2, if I have that correct. Um, and that's going to be a lot of fun because we will be letterpress printing. Uh, we have a professional development class from MSU Denver coming, so hopefully they'll stick around. And it's just overall, it's a really good party. Um, and you never know who you're going to bump into, and you can say that you went to something MOP related. So again, that's Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8 p.m., at the Shop at Matter, 2134 Market Street. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll be there. Rick will be there. And I think it'll be um, just a lot of fun. So now that the Center for Visual Art webpage has loaded by no fault of theirs, uh, I have the title. And the title of the exhibition is Gravity of Perception. And it is on view through March 23rd. So you still have some time to go see that. I highly recommend it. What's great is it is lens-based work. So there's some video, there's some sculpture, um, there's 
a lot of interesting things like that. Uh, so there's some LGBTQIA artists. Uh, it just deals with um, persons of color and things like that and sort of the um, things that are going on and sort of uh, just, wow, I'm doing an awful job of summarizing this, but just, just go, just go. Uh, msudenver.edu slash cva will take you to their website you can see that all the artist links they did a great job of like linking in their websites and their instagrams um, and there's a couple more artist talks xaviera simmons has an artist talk coming up on march 15th uh, chris graves and zora muruf have an artist talk on march 21st and then there's a closing reception and a dance performance on March 22nd. So I definitely go, definitely like recommend going and checking that out. If you've never been to an artist talk there, they are completely free and open to the public. And they're a great way to kind of combat becoming a generalist, right? And you can learn straight from these artists. And then if you kind of cross, once you're in the gallery and you kind of cross that back set of French doors, you actually enter... 965 Project Gallery, which is student-curated work. Uh, it's not student work, but it's work curated by a student who works at MSU Denver, uh, who works at CVA. And their exhibition is The Space Between. And I have just seen people staring at these images that they have presented there. It is just insane to see uh, reactions there and to see reactions around that artwork. So I'm not going to spoil that at all, uh, but go check out CVA. It's always free. It's always open to the public. And again, their website is msudenver.edu slash CVA. And on First Friday, I actually spent a good chunk of time there making a zine uh, in part with my friends Jasmine and Taryn, uh, who are still gallery assistants there. And it was just really cathartic might be the word, relaxing, meditative to just kind of sit down and chop up a bunch of old magazines and re-glue them into collage illustration type things. Uh, Taryn contributed a lot of geometric drawings because they are a graphic, uh, not a graphic designer, an industrial designer and a good one at that. Um, so it was a lot of fun to just kind of glue a lot of crap together and make a really fun zine and to kind of have that in my archives too because I like to have my own things in my collection as well as things from other people and so it was really nice to kind of collaborate on that and to kind of just summarize this and wrap this all up that all happened on one street in denver that all happened on santa fe drive in the santa fe arts district so if you're looking for some mop to do and you want to like cross a lot of things off the list in one afternoon or one evening i highly recommend a first friday or a third friday down there uh, lots of galleries are open and this that was just a handful you never know what other exhibitions are going to be going on and what types of art you're going to see and what hors d'oeuvres you can get your hands on so we're going to take a quick break again and drop another little beat in there and then we're going to do an outro thanks so much for listening All right, so that wraps up episode two of season two, whatever I'm calling this episode. It was kind of all over the place. 
Uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, get at me on Instagram at Curtis Crunch. If you really enjoyed listening to this and you want to see season two get better and better and better and better, uh, please consider clicking the listener support button that is linked in the description here. And just 99 cents a month could greatly help Creative Crunch and help support the podcast. Also, thank you for listening to the sponsored segments that are now in these episodes. Uh, Listening to that really helps me out. Uh, Please don't ever skip over that. (laughs) Um, I will link as much as I possibly can uh, to Month of Photography and CVA and Space Gallery and The Lost Object and whatever links I can find I will throw in the description to this episode. Wherever you're listening, please consider leaving a review, uh, if that's on Anchor or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to Creative Crunch, please leave a review. There's just lots of amazing ways that you can support me and you can support Creative Crunch. The last little plug I have is that you can hire me. I do photography, I do videography, and I do social media management. So if your Instagram isn't up to date, if your website's not as polished as you want it, and you don't have photos of yourself making art, uh, hit me up and I'll get you a quote. I can work with pretty much any budget and anyone in the Denver metro area, regardless of what your creative thing is. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week when we discuss another handful of creative things that have to do with the art industry. See you then. Bye.